Thank you for joining me on episode eight of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today, Brian Mitchell shares with us his life with autism, a term that wasn't so understood many years ago and that some still struggle with today. So I hope our conversation brings you a better understanding of what autism is and how God can be glorified through it. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast, where we are helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. And my guest today is Brian Mitchell. And Brian, you are, you're just, you're young. You're what, 20, 21? I'm 23. You're 23. Oh my gosh, you're older than what I, what I thought you were. You just graduated from high school just a few years ago. And I have you here today because, yes, God has created us unique on purpose. And I want to talk about your autism and you, something that, you, you know, you've experienced your, your whole life. But first off, just share with me a little bit about who Brian is in your story. What I'm describing is how God can use you, how you can overcome your autism or your struggle of whatever sort you may have. And, and you were adopted. So why don't you start with that? Share with me your adoption story. So 23 and a half years ago, when I, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. my birth parents were both 16 and 18 years old when they had me. So they were teenagers, okay. as we speak. Mm-hmm. They, My parents, it's a, kind of a hard story to describe, but I'll do my best here. Sure. Um, so my mom and so my dad was just coming home from work one day. He was just walking through the door. He came upstairs to the upstairs home of my fluorescent home at the time. And he saw my mom was writing down a little piece of paper a little baby boy. And my dad goes, are we going to... It's okay. Nope. Keep going. Sorry. Um, a little hard to describe. So that we're going to adopt a baby boy. So my parents so my parents went through the court. They had to file papers. And- wait, wait. I'm going to stop you right there. Your mom just automatically knew, like, we're just going to adopt a baby boy? No, not that way at oh, all. Oh, okay. No. She was... But what was she, how come she was writing that down? She had gotten in touch with an adoption agency oh, okay. called The Lighthouse. Got it. Which is where, like, unwed mothers, like, who have babies early can, you know, have them put up for adoption there. And that's where my birth mom was at with me at the time. And then, so your parents went down to the adoption agency, and what happened? They had to file papers. Mm-hmm. They had to... Mm, did they meet you right then and there? No, they did not. I met them when I was in Blue Springs, Missouri. They came over from another Christian family that was taking care of me at the time. Okay, so you were in a foster care home for a little bit before they adopted you. Yep, for two and a half weeks. Okay, all right. And then does your mom share with you, has, does she share with you the story often of when she first met you? Sometimes often, yes. Yeah, and so how does she describe that, first meeting you for the first time? She described me, it was wonderful. She was very happy. Yeah. And then, so they adopt you, and what happens next? What happens next, they took me home, and that first Thanksgiving, they, my whole family saw me. Mm-hmm. They were very, very happy. But many people come from, there were several different states. Mm-hmm. Like some of their good friends, you know, they knew. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was a wonderful time from then. And so they've adopted you. Now, as you're growing older... How did they discover that something was different about you? What they discovered differently was they saw that I wasn't really being with anyone. 
They noticed I was playing with books funny, like trying to make like elevator type things as I so speak. Okay. What, what, how were you playing with books funny? How like putting them together like how elevator doors close. Okay. Instead of flipping them like a reg- like you would with a regular book. And then you said you were you were isolating yourself? I wasn't really being with anybody at the time, no. And how old were you at this point? I would say if I were to give you a rough estimate, I would say around three to four years old at the time. Okay. And where were you living? I was living in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You were in Grand Rapids. So they noticed that something was different. Did they suspect autism right then or did they just go to the pediatrician and ask questions? What happened at that point? They would have saw like a doctor of some sort. Mm -hmm. And he said that to my parents that I had autism and I wouldn't be able to do anything. They wouldn't be able to. It's hard to describe, but they said I wouldn't be able to do anything at the time. Like do anything as in at that moment or in your future, you weren't going to be able to do anything? In my future that I wasn't going to be able to do anything. Well, you've obviously proved him wrong already. So it's oh, 23 yeah. years old. Oh, yeah. so, so when a doctor gives a diagnosis to your parents uh, that you have autism and says you won't be able to do anything, how did that make them feel? I wasn't there to notice it or anything, but I bet that made them feel very sad. Yeah. Especially they have adopted this boy. They have all of these dreams and visions of how and who you're going to be, how you're going to turn out. And then they get this diagnosis. How does it make you feel, even though you probably don't even remember going to the pediatrician to get uh, diagnosed? How does that make you feel now thinking back about that of somebody saying, well, you're just not going to be able to do anything? It would make me feel very sad if I were to describe it. Yeah. Which is, of course, that's an absolute lie. You can overcome it, of course. Right. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Okay, so so now what? You're in Grand Rapids. Did they start putting you in a special school? Were you in special education? I wasn't in any type of special education at the time. They put me in a normal classroom. I did have to see like a speech teacher of some sort. They did have to pull me out of classes for that. So that's what we call mainstreaming. You were actually mainstreamed in the classroom. How was that for you? Did you notice that you were different from all the other kids that were neurotypical? And and if anybody's listening, when I say neurotypical, that means someone that doesn't have autism or doesn't have ADHD or something different with their brain. Neurotypical. You were put in a class with neurotypical children. Did you notice that you were different than everyone else? I didn't really notice that at all, to be honest. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Do you think that you would have felt different if you were in a special ed classroom? Yes, I probably would have felt different. And then they took you out for speech therapy. How long did you have to have speech therapy for? I did speech up until my eighth grade year. Oh, wow. All right. And at that point, were you living uh, where you're living now? And that is Traverse City, Michigan? Correct. And did you have any other resources outside of speech therapy? Did you have physical therapy, occupational therapy at all? None of those. Really? You had no occupational therapy? No, ma'am. So you were never in special ed classes? You were mainstreamed throughout your whole school life? Well, up until eighth grade, I was in speech therapy. But I meant like in the classroom, you were in a in neurotypical classrooms. Oh, yes, absolutely. All throughout. So that is possible. If anybody's listening and you're wondering, can my autistic child be mainstreamed? It is possible. And as you got older, did you see that you were different? Not really. No. So what challenges do you, have you had to overcome with your autism? One, a couple of challenges I'd be glad to share with you. If I, had, yes. I had to overcome driving. Tell me about driving. So you drive. Yep, I do. Have, yep, I have a driver's license. Okay. When, how old were you when you received your driver's license? I was 21 when I had my permit. 
And so tell me about, tell me the story about how you got your driver's license. Well, my, actually, it starts with my uncle. My uncle Eric, he encouraged me to drive because he knew I had the potential. He knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. And he kept, you know, encouraged me about it mm-hmm. um, until I finally got frustrated about it for a while. I'm like, forget it. I don't want to do this. Then finally, my finally, when I wanted to live in an apartment, finally, I got that. I got that thought of wanting to move out. Yeah. He said, my parents said, you need to have a, you need to have mobile transportation. You can't just take the bus. Okay. So I said, okay, I'll start driving. So I started studying for driving. And what was frustrating about learning how to drive? Why could you have gotten your license at sixteen, or in and you just pushed it off because it was hard? Like, how come you waited so long? It just wasn't the right timing yet, to be honest. I wasn't ready at sixteen years old yet. But you drive now. Correct. All right. What other challenges have you had to overcome due to autism? Getting a full time job. Challenges was um, actually working at a deli. You had to learn so many things. And sometimes that, t- that takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of process. You have to learn so much, however you say it, a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, do you live on your own now? Oh, no. I still live at home. You still live at home, but you're working on, you're wanting to move into an apartment and live on your own? Yes. I'm actually on an awaiting list. Oh, for an apartment awesome. Here in Traverse City. So good I'm for excited. you. Yeah, good for you. Tell me more about the challenges of work. Do you feel that other people treat you differently or have a hard time working with you because you are different? They gladly accept me. That's great. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like autism is becoming more accepted and people maybe aren't as afraid. I think people were afraid of autism for so long because they didn't know how to act around those that were autistic and they're becoming more comfortable. I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. My thoughts on that. Sometimes people may have trouble understanding autism. They may not, you know, I mean, you are right. People are starting to have more respect for that. And that's a really good thing. Mm hmm. So it's a little bit hard to process that. Maybe hard for a normal person to understand that. Yeah. Does anybody ever ask you like, well, hey, something's different about you. What is it? Do you ever get asked that question? I do not. No. And has anybody ever asked you, okay, well, what is autism? I don't think anybody's ever asked me that, but I have explained it to people at school before. Okay. So how how would you explain autism? If somebody's listening for the first time, and I don't know anybody who is not aware of autism, but if you were to describe it to someone, how would you describe it? The way I would describe autism is it's, uh, it's really hard to describe, but I'll do my best here. Autism is a neurological disorder in the brain. It affects the way we think, speak, and how we communicate with others. Like, for example, you may have, you may see someone with autism having repetitive behavior, which is repeating themselves. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they might self-talk, you know, and so tell me about the repeating of yourselves I, from um, I we call it um, at my house. Those of you that are listening may not know. I have a severely autistic brother, so he is not high functioning like you are. He, he'll never be able to drive. He lives in an adult foster care home now. He can't live on his own. He has to be kind of micromanaged and he has what we call echolalia. So anytime I talk to my brother, he just completely re- he repeats everything that I say. And is that kind of what you're talking about, the repetitiveness? What I'm kind of referring to here is like saying the same thing over and over again. Like if I say like the same sentence over again, like I'm saying it again, I'm saying it again, kind of like that. And does that happen at work? A little bit, but not often. All right. So does anybody notice that you do that and it's kind of weirded out or do they just kind of accept it? Like, oh, that's just Brian. They ex- they accept me. That's great. I know that not everybody has had the same experience, but again, I think we're just we're living in such a day and age where we are accepting people who are uh, are, are neurodiverse. You know, we're living in a neurodiverse world, and you repeat yourself. And what else is it that you do? You you talk different. 
Mm -hmm. do, do people notice right away that there's something different about you because you talk different? They don't say anything. They don't say anything. Okay. Probably just trying to be, trying to be respectful. Polite. Yeah. When you were in school, you went to a private Christian school throughout your high school years, right? Correct. Traverse City Christian. And did any, did you have any challenges with people just not understanding you when you were in your high school years? I usually, people sometimes us, didn't usually hang with me sometimes, you know, I, I didn't really sit with my friends much, to be honest. Mm hmm. Did you feel that you were different because all of these people were talking about the colleges they were going to and the dreams that they had outside of high school? And did that kind of make you feel a little bit isolated because maybe you had different ideas of what life was going to be like for you? Because here you, you're not even driving yet. And so they're talking about what college they're going to go to. And you're still trying to figure out, well, how am I going to drive? Right. I was figuring out, I was actually a little bit anxious about it. Like what, were, what would be my next place to go? Where am I going to go next? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I was back in seventh grade. I didn't know if I was going to college or not. Right. I worried about that. Mm -hmm. And then, so what are you doing now as far um, work wise? As far as work wise, I'm just working, working at Tom's food market mm -hmm. full time. So that is a grocery store and you're working there full time. Yep. Okay. And do you work in the deli then? I do. And when are you looking at, you said you're on a waiting list to be able to move out. All right. Do you think that that will bring some challenges of its own with your autism being able to live on your own? It may. Yeah. It would probably absolutely. Has anybody talked to you about that as far as what it's going to look like when you're on your own? That I'm not sure of. All right. What do you think is going to happen? Like what, what challenges do you think is going to come up? Challenges, I believe that'll come up. You know, you'll be on your own. Mm -hmm. You won't have your parents to help you. Well, actually, I will take that back. <laughs> <laughs> they're a phone call away, right? Yeah, they're, they're not, always a phone call away. Yeah, they're not that far. Right. Just, do, you, do you think you'll need uh, you'll have a roommate? I don't plan on having a roommate. Just me. Well, you're an only child. So you're sense. probably used to just being on your own. It would probably be a challenge for you to have a roommate, eh? Yeah, it would be a little bit difficult, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody's listening right now and they they have a child that maybe recently was diagnosed with autism and for a parent, that's absolutely devastating. It is incredibly mm -hmm. difficult because as a parent, you have all these dreams and visions of what is going to happen in your child's life and now all of a sudden it's crashing down what advice would you give to a parent coming from a person that has autism what advice would you give to that parent that just maybe had that diagnosis the advice i would give would be you know hang in there mm -hmm. there's hope yeah you you can still work with that child of yours mm -hmm. you can always you know there's always hope they can still do their things. They just, they can still do great things. Mm -hmm. They may just need like a little bit of an, a loving push or encouragement. How did your parents give you that? I mean, cause you have very loving parents. How did your parents give you that push? What did they do for you that you would recommend other parents do for their kids? Now that is a very good question there. There's a lot of good things I could say there. They would encourage me to go for my dreams and hopes. Mm -hmm. They didn't naysay about them. And I give my parents credit for that. So they never said, well, no, that's not a possibility for you because of your autism. No, they never. No, they didn't say that to me. What what dreams are we talking about? I have dreams like of living on my own is one of them. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And then just driving and then hopefully one day living in another state. Oh, you want to live in another state? Where do you want to live? 
one day I want to live in Florida. And why Florida? It's a warmer climate. Mm-hmm. Michigan's very burr, cold yes. as speaking. <laughs> I, do not, I do not like the winters. <laughs> no, I don't either. I don't blame you. And what are your plans um, as for career-wise? Or you, you think, hey, a grocery store, I love it. This is where I want to be. Or you want to venture out and doing something different? Oh, I really love the deli. I really love working at a culinary-based section. Mm-hmm. I enjoy, you know, cooking and learning. Mm-hmm. So you find fulfillment in that. What? Go ahead. No, will you sure find do. Fulfill- you sure do. <laughs> so uh, tell me, what are some challenges that you are facing right now? We talked about some of the challenges that you faced when you were younger, when you were in school. But are there any challenges that you feel that with autism you have ad- had to overcome as an adult? That is a very hard question to think about. Not really sure at the moment. Would you have any advice for someone who is just afraid to talk to people with autism because they just don't know what to say? They maybe feel awkward around you or awkward around somebody else with autism. What would you tell that person? Hey, it's okay. Big people, people with autism are just as wonderful as as, as anyone. Mm-hmm. And that we can talk to you just like we would talk to a regular neurotypical person, correct? Exactly. However, I have heard you talk about this before. You don't get sarcasm very well, do you? That's an autistic thing. Right, but that's actually something I'm actually overcoming a little bit. I'm kind of able to understand it a certain way. Okay, so tell me about that. Growing up, would people try and make sarcastic jokes with you and you just had no clue what they were talking about? Exactly. So share with me a little bit, how are you trying to overcome just regular sarcasm? Well, the one way you can tell that somebody is joking is that they're not serious in their voice. That's one way I found out to be a really good way. Was that always hard for your parents to make sure that they told you exactly what they were trying to say without making jokes? That I'm not sure. Or they probably got used to it after a while. What about when you were in school? Was that a little bit more difficult for people to understand? Probably. Yeah. Now, would you consider yourself more on the Asperger side? Because that kind of came out a few years ago, that word Asperger's, where someone who was more highly functioning autism... Um, but they kind of took that word away that when I say they, the the experts took that word away, which I think is a real detriment because it really does define the differences of autism. I always feel like I have to tell somebody my brother is severely autistic. I have to because my brother's not like you where he could live on his own and he can drive. He's going to have to live in an adult foster care home the rest of his life. He doesn't talk in conversation. So I always feel like I have to say severely autistic do you would you kind of consider yourself more on the asperger side because you are highly functioning i would consider myself just like anybody else yeah just a typical normal person yeah now have you watched and followed anything from temple grandin or elon musk those that are autistic that have kind of made a name for themselves a mark in this world like have i seen them or yeah like do you follow them on social media have you followed what they've done have you watched the temple grandin movie at all i sure have and what did you think of that that's a good movie did it did you feel that you related to her in that movie i can relate some she overcame you know a lot of her difficulties she kept she was very persistent as i speak mhm she didn't stop trying she kept going and she eventually conquered her autism right and I, and now she's a professor at a college in Colorado, and she's world-renowned. She's probably, probably outside of Greta Thunberg, she's probably the world's most, well, no, I shouldn't say that. Elon Musk is probably at the top right now, but she definitely is one of the most famous autistic persons out there. How do you feel about Elon Musk and how he has 
kind of overcome his autism and how he's brought so much change to our world. I have not heard of him before. Oh, really? My first time hearing. Okay, yep. So I, I would I would check him out. Highly functioning Asperger's person. He's an inventor and he uh, works in Silicon Valley in, in California. A lot of people in Silicon Valley have autism because they're so good with working at computers and the, the, they all have gifts and talents that neurotypical people don't have. What advantages do you feel that you have as an autistic person? Advantages that can help other people if they need help. How so? Like help work alongside them if they have like a problem or if they're upset about something. I can, I'm able to help encourage. And are you talking about other autistic people or are you talking about even neurotypical people? Neurotypical people. So you're really good at coming alongside. What other advantages do you feel you have? Do you feel like you have a little bit more empathy than other people? Empathy? Yeah, that, that, you, that you have a little bit more patience and understanding with people because you've had to learn to conquer things that other people haven't? I've learned to conquer things, yes. Most children who are different, they have what's called a hyper-focus. Did you have a hyper-focus? I sure did. Okay, what was that? In my younger years, I would enjoy fountains because I thought they were always so cool. Like water fountains? Yeah, exactly. So maybe going to the mall or where would you go to see water fountains? Sometimes at the mall and just like other places too, like an outlet mall, you know, like squares, like those type of places. Mm -hmm. Would your parents purposely take you to places that had fountains because they knew that you enjoyed them? They sure would. Okay. What else besides fountains did you have a, a fascination with? Because and, and I ask because when I meet autistic kids, every one of them has some sort of hyper-focus, some sort of fascination. I've met kids that fans, they absolutely love fans. They have fans in their room. And I was a children's pastor for a long time. So I had one kid who, who loved fans and I would place him in a room with just a floor fan and that he absolutely loved it. So what other hyper-focuses or things that airplanes, I know you had talked about that at one time. Tell me about airplanes. So I was obsessed and I still like this today. I, I enjoy aviation. Mm -hmm. I would enjoy like like I could describe the aircraft, like what type of air, what type of aircraft was this airline flying for? Like United, Delta, Spirit, Continental, all the old carriers and the mm -hmm. new. And, and you kind of have an idea of what all of their planes are? Like the company. Yes. Like the company, the. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite airplane? I like all different types, mainly like Boeing and a former aircraft company called McDonnell Douglas. Mm -hmm. That's what my grandpa worked for. Oh, OK. Is there anything else that you would like to share? about autism with people that you want everybody to know? I want people to know that autism does not, is not something that defines a person. Mm -hmm. It's not who they are mm -hmm. and that they're more than that. Is there anything else that you would like to, to share with the audience? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing a little bit. I'm hoping that just having this conversation will give somebody a little bit uh, a peace of mind when maybe their child, um, they're, they're noticing that their child is not, they're not, their child's not speaking or their child may not be reading or their child is a little bit delayed. And then, then when they get that diagnosis of autism that, you know what, it, it could be a long road, but they're going to make it and they're going to turn out okay because you've turned out so well for yourself. You're an incredibly 
polite young man. You've had incredible parents that have really poured into you. They have done a lot for you. And you had a, a great education. And now, I mean, you're doing it. You're, in a sense, living the American dream as an American person, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the American dream isn't just for those that have come from other countries and have planted themselves in the United States, but it really is for people that are different. And I'm thankful that we live in a country where you're more accepted. You know, if you, and we've come a long way. I mean, a hundred years ago, autistic people would be just placed in an insane asylum and then they would just be left there. But now we live in a more accepting day and age where autistic persons stay at home and their parents raise them. And that was one of the big deals about Temple Grandin was because she lived in a day and age, her her biological father wanted her to go live in an insane asylum, but her mother said, no, she's staying at home. And that was rare back then, that a special needs child would stay at home with their parents. And so I'm just thankful that we live in a country in this day and age, in this culture, where you can be mainstreamed in a classroom, you can be mainstreamed in a regular work environment, and you can succeed. You can live on your own, and you can drive. Thank you very much for sharing a little bit of that with us today, Brian. Oh, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure to do so. <laughs> Thank you again for joining Brian and I for that conversation on the Unique On Purpose podcast. I hope this gave you a little more insight into the world of autism, something that is near and dear to my heart personally. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. Remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you next time.